I have always wished that my Spanish was better. Living in Southern California and going to Mexico a lot for surfing, weekend trips, stuff like that, it's just very handy. I took three years of it in high school, but I really didn't learn that much from the books. I basically only got really good at asking various types of people where the library is located, which turns out to be not a phrase you use that often when you're on vacation. Rosetta Stone is a much more organic and easy way to learn a new language because it really immerses you in that language. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop, and also it has an app. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Like I said, it's fast language acquisition because it really immerses you in the language. There's no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. They also have speech recognition features like True Accent, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's also an amazing value. They offer a lifetime membership, which includes all 25 languages, which is perfect for any and all trips you might have in your future with various languages you might want to learn. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, other world listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com otherworld today. This episode is brought to you by Harry's. Harry's sent me a razor starter kit recently to try, and I put it to use very quickly because I keep myself clean shaven. In fact, I pretty much shave every single day because I have lots of facial hair. It grows back very quickly, and it's also really thick, and it hurts a lot when I shave normally, with a bad razor at least. So I've been using Harry's razors for like a week now. They're very nice. It's a five-blade razor, and I have to say, it really does effortlessly shave through my normally very annoying facial hair. It doesn't hurt one bit, no tugging, anything like that. And it stayed sharp the entire time as well. I'm very impressed so far. It also has kind of a good weight to it. It's like heavier than normal. I don't know. It's like, it's just got a good weight to it. I really like that. I didn't know I liked it before, but now I know I like it. I also really liked the shaving cream just because it smells really good. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by questionable shaving products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. Harry's has a customizable delivery option for scheduled refills as low as $2, half of what you pay from other big brands. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com otherworld. That's harrys.com otherworld for a $3 trial set. Welcome to Otherworld. I'm your host, Jack Wagner. You're listening to the very first episode of the show. And in this show, you're going to be hearing stories from real people I've interviewed who have experienced something paranormal, supernatural, or simply unexplainable. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a director and I host a comedy podcast called Gab yeah, Still. I wear a lot of different hats, but one thing I've never really been known as is a paranormal person or somebody that easily believes in far-fetched things. I think you probably know the type of person I'm talking about. That's not me. But that changed for me a few years ago when I decided to do a Halloween episode for my comedy podcast. I asked our listeners if anybody had experienced something paranormal, and I was completely blown away by how many submissions we got. Not only that, the type of things these people experienced. These weren't just people who heard a bump in the night or saw something out of the corner of their eye. These were serious eyewitness testimonies from all over the world 
that couldn't just be explained away. Not only that, they were all from people that I thought were super normal and very credible. As I continued to talk with these people who have had these experiences, it became harder for me to write this stuff off as fun campfire stories. There are simply so many people out there who have experienced things that can't be explained away. And if what they experienced is real, the impact that would have on our understanding of reality as a whole would be massive. Even if you think 98% of this stuff is made up or people imagining things, that other 2% is a huge number. That's a lot of people who have experienced something that defies explanation. In fact, most of the people who have had the most extreme experiences never tell anybody about it. Most of the people I interview end up telling me that I'm the first person they told. It's a pattern I've noticed and a theme I plan on exploring in this project. When people come face to face with something unexplainable, the real terrifying thing is not what they saw, it's what it means. For a person to be going about their normal life and then suddenly experience something that breaks the basic rules of reality, everything immediately unwinds. All of the things we believe, the basic laws of physics, nature, our very existence, the stuff we don't have to think about, all of that starts to unravel and be reevaluated. If what you just saw was real, and you know it's real because you just lived it, what else is real? And what isn't real? All these questions are what's terrifying. And those questions are why almost everybody immediately finds a way to forget it, bottle it up, or explain it away. Because once you've had a glimpse of the other side, most people just want to go back and live their simple life. And I don't blame them. Almost all of the shows that cover these topics treat it like fiction or are just fully making things up. I can't stand that. I don't have answers, but maybe one day we will. In the meantime, I want to document and investigate this stuff to the best of my ability and tell the stories in a way that they could be appreciated by anyone from a skeptic to a true believer. No matter what you believe right now, my hope is that by the end of this series, your mind opens up just a little bit. And with that being said, let's get started with the show. My name is Jack Wagner, and you're listening to Otherworld. Hello? Bobby? Yes, I'm here. We're still, you still rolling? Yeah, let us, let us know when you're ready. Okay, hey, um... It's a fail for the asking question. Samo and the Pacific Island are pretty superstitious. This is a, a story about... This season, I have a lot of very incredible stories to share with you guys about all sorts of things, and it's been a very, very difficult process deciding which one I'm going to start it all out with. I decided at the very last second to go with this one. It comes from a person named Xavier in South Australia and his Aunt Lou. Xavier had recently moved home to his family farm and started to experience some weird things. He told me that he believes his Aunt Lou also had some weird experiences on the farm and that he thought she might have some good stories. I told him, hey, why don't you go talk to your Aunt Lou, ask her what the stories were, refresh your memory, and come back and see if it's worth recording. Well, he did that, and Aunt Lou's stories were a lot more interesting than we ever anticipated. So I think it's best if I just let them take it from here. This episode is called The Broken Man. Um, so my name's Xavier. I'm from Adelaide, South Australia. 
So about five years ago, um, I was living in my grandma's house with my mum. My parents had um, split up and they were going through like a really bad divorce and me and my brothers and my best mate, we had just gone over to the US. And so when we were on that trip, my mum really quickly suddenly had sold the house and she had to move out of uh, our family home really quickly by, by herself, herself, which yeah. is like, we felt horrible yeah, about, but, me, but yeah. yeah, so we were like overseas and we weren't due to come back. And so mum had to really quickly move out and then she had nowhere to live. Yeah. So then she crashed sort of at my um, grandma's, grandma's yeah. house. It was a bit pretty tumultuous sort of period yeah, for was. all of us. We were quite displaced and uncomfortable and I was sort of living between my now wife's house and that house and it was all just a bit things weren't settled it was like an unsettled time but one of the nice things was her um, house is on her family's original farm and so there's a bit of a family connection to the to the area which is nice so it felt kind of nice coming back to the area to be there um, in what otherwise might have been like a bit disruptive sort of time um, so the house that we were living at is directly next door to my auntie's old house. And when we were little kids, we grew up, you know, birthday parties and always hanging out there at that house. And that house was built by our family, you know, many, many years ago. And multiple family members, um, you know, had lived in that house over time. So I think my great grandfather built the house. Um, and then my auntie happened to, um, buy it later on in life and was living there. So um, we were living next door to that house um, and we were coming back from a basketball game. Um, so would have been uh, about 11.30 we were coming home and it was me, my brother and my best friend. Um, and we got out of the car and then started, you know, parked, out, parked outside the house, got out of the car and started walking across the street towards the house. Um, and it was, you know, dead quiet. Um, there wasn't any wind or anything. Um, and as we approached the gate of the house, we heard footsteps, you know, very clear footsteps walking behind us in the presence of a person. Um, and all three of us turned around at the same time and there was nothing there. Um, and we all sort of noted it and said to each other, oh, that's, that's really weird. Um, the sort of thing that you probably wouldn't pay any more attention to, um, but it was, you know, an uncanny sort of thing. So we sort of disregarded it, went inside, um, and then just got on with the rest of the night. I don't know, play, probably played some video games or watched some TV or something, and then um, went to bed. And then didn't really think about it for about a week or so. And then um, caught up with my auntie about a week later, and I was saying, oh, I had this really weird things that have happened last week out on the street. Um, and then um, my auntie told me a, a crazy story that she had had um, on the same, same street um, at her house next door about 30 years ago. All right, so before we meet Aunt Lou, I want to make sure a couple of things are clear. Xavier, his parents are getting divorced. He's on vacation in America, finds out that they have to move out of the house very fast. Uh, the only place they have to go is the family farm. Now, this is unusual. I doubt many people grew up on something like this. Um, it's a big plot of land in a very rural area, and 
various family members have built houses on this section of land over the years, and even more family members have used and lived in those houses over the years. So it sounds like they've had this for at least a century by this point. If you can imagine moving to a a very rural farm area, but a lot of your neighbors are also your aunts and uncles and cousins and so forth. You know, I've found a lot of people experience stuff like this when they're going through a very strange time, a transitory time, like some, you know, something that will lead you into a new section of your life. And I think a skeptic would take that and think like, oh, well, you know, you're stressed. You're imagining things because you're stressed. And as somebody who's gone through it myself, I mean, I think a lot of people have. It's really the opposite, you know? I think when you go through a difficult time like that, you're so distracted by the problems of the real world that you could not be bothered to be scared or scare yourself imagining ghosts and things like that. That's like the last time you'd be afraid of the dark. It's literally the last thing on your mind. So to have something so matter-of-fact like that happen, it sounds like Xavier almost didn't think twice about it. If he didn't mention it offhand to his family hearing these footsteps, he probably would have just forgotten about it. But I'm glad he didn't because we now have these stories from Aunt Lou. And I'm just going to let her take it from here. So that brings me into the story. I'm Auntie Lou. I was living in the original house that was on the corner, on the corner of two streets, which was built by my grandfather, Xavier's great-grandfather. And he uh, was quite a well-to-do young man, um, ended up being a mayor of our local council and had lots of friends that would visit the house and, uh, you know, they had mayoral duties to do. So they were sort of well-to-do and they had this beautiful house, which I was lucky enough to buy from another relative to live in with my husband at the time. So we had, as a family, I had a two-year-old daughter and a six-month-old baby and we'd been asked over to friends, bring the kids over, put them in a porter cot, we can have fun, have dinner and then then we'll leave. So we'd had a very pleasant night and driving home rather late, around about 1.30, late for when you have to get up and uh, be committed the next day to other things, we had little kids in the car, baby asleep, and our two-year-old was sort of awake, we'd woken her up. Anyway, we were driving down the street, so past the location of where Xavier had seen, had heard, not seen, had heard the steps coming up behind him and we'd turned right at the intersection to do a U-turn to park outside our house on the corner. And as the car headlights came around against our fence, there was this huge bright light, the brightest light I've ever seen. It was a, a cold blue-white, super-white, neon light in an elliptical shape, hovering about two feet above the ground and large as a person. And in this bright, iridescent light was zigzags of, the only way I can describe it is energy coming out, radiating from the centre of this light. And in that, a figure had appeared 
and the figure was a, a gentleman with his head cast down to over his right shoulder with his long nose and I could see he had some little bit of facial hair and he had what we would call a trilby hat but Americans would call it a derby on his head wearing I'd say a suit from the 1930s, 40s sort of wartime suit um, and a waistcoat but he was all broken so his arms and limbs were all at peculiar angles and he had his head nodded as if he was broken. But instead of being broken on the ground, he was broken in a vertical form. And my little girl at the back saw it and I said, oh my goodness, oh, what is this? My husband was very frightened and he just said, oh my God, what is it? And the figure seemed to assemble itself momentarily back to being a full human being mended, but then leant in towards the car and had transformed into this, what we think of as being a cartoon ghost, this white shape with big dark sockets and leant right through to the car window as if peering in. And it sort of enveloped part of the car and the, the atmosphere was so cold it was so cold and chilling it was terrible so at this stage my husband stopped the car and ran inside <laughs> leaving me to deal with the ghost and two little children so at this stage the ghost pulled back again and I could see it was the man this gentleman who looked a little embarrassed this is the weird thing he looked a little bit embarrassed and then turned and able-bodied, ran off to the right and it, everything just disappeared. So at that point, I was thinking, I wonder what he wants. This is my first reaction. I was thinking, I wonder what he wants. I want, that's really weird, but I wonder what he wanted. Um, and I thought, I'll just deal with this at the moment. I was also a, a little annoyed, you know. I just was thinking, what is going on here? I'm probably more annoyed with my husband of the time because <laughs> he just bolted. So I, I took in Amelia, age two, who said to me, Mummy, Mummy, white man, where he gone? In her baby talk. And I said, I don't know, darling, but he didn't hurt us. It's, everything's all right. Then went out to get the sleeping baby and meanwhile I had locked the car because I was thinking I don't know what I'm dealing with but brought the sleeping baby in and said to my husband, what, what are you doing? Where are you? He was in bed under the quilt covers shaking <laughs> whereas I was thinking there's nothing that's happened here. It's odd but I'm not frightened. I need to go outside and find out what, what he wants. So I went out into the street, everything seemed back to normal and I stood where the vision had first been, first appeared and I said, I'm here and I'm listening, what do you want, can I help? And there was no reply and I went inside and then I think I had an argument with my husband saying, thanks for leaving this to me to deal with and he said he didn't want to talk about it as far as he's concerned, nothing happened. 
And I said, of course it happened. You saw it. Amelia saw it. The baby saw it. He refused to talk about it again in the morning. And I thought, this is weird. So I bundled up the kids. He went off to work. He was a dentist. Um, you know, I think they probably have a few weird things that happen with nitrous oxide and things. <laughs> but this, this was certainly no hallucination. Anyway, I thought, what do I do here? I might go down and speak to my mum and dad about this because um, my mother, having lived in the area, I thought maybe this might be helpful for her to know about it and find out whether there had been any weird experience that the family had ever talked about. Um, and she listened and said, I don't, I don't know of anything that happened within the family. What did the man look like? And I said, well, he was very well-dressed. He was a gentleman, had his waistcoat on, bottom buttoned undone, as all gentlemen would wear in a three-piece suit. Um, beautiful hat, um, dignified-looking, you know, immaculate shirt and tie, well-presented. Um, and I said he had distinctive sort of long nose, quite a pronounced nose, fine features but a long nose. And she said, my goodness, that sounds like my father's friend, Murray Jacobs, who used to live down on the corner. So evidently this fellow had, Murray Jacobs had a very good relationship with my grandfather. He'd pop in after work for a quick drink and then go home to his wife and children and probably caught up with them, you know, have lunch in town. They were both businessmen, uh, both accountants. And... Mum said, oh, Murray Jacobs used to come and visit us at the farm. And she said, but I know he lived in your street three doors down on the next corner. And she said, I think this is Murray Jacobs because in the 1930s when my mother would have been 10, she was born in 1921, when she was 10, there was a great sadness that, Murray Jacobs had taken his life in the city um, at the time of the Great Depression and that he had got into financial trouble. Um, I don't know the details of that, but I know that there was a great sadness and a, as in a lot of times um, suicide is a great shame for a family, so there wasn't a great lot of talk about it, but they knew that he had jumped off one of the buildings in the city and was found at the base of the building all broken. And I believe that's the figure I saw. But I, he was also described to me as being a very gentle, considerate man. And so my feeling of the story is that he is wanting somebody to acknowledge him I thought it was a man that needed some prayer, possibly that he's stuck between two worlds, possibly felt that I had a connection to the man that he was very fond of and that I'm still living in the old house. So I thought this is something not to be afraid of. This is somebody that's just needing time to give him a bit of thought and for me to do something about this. So having thought that, I thought I'm still a little uncomfortable. 
What if he comes back at his <laughs> next time inside the house? So my father suggested, being a good Catholic, he said, why don't you go and speak to the local Jesuit priests at the church in Norwood and see what they have to say about it? And I said, well, I sort of feel that he needs a bit of a send-off and a blessing or something because I think he's stuck. And Dad said, well, they'll know more about it. I've got no idea about any of this stuff. <laughs> So I made an appointment to go down to see the Jesuit priest. Meanwhile, I'd started to feel quite upset about what had happened because my husband was in total denial that anything had happened at all and didn't want to know about it. And when I went to speak to the priest about it, he actually was quite uh, a bit uncomfortable. He said this is not his thing. He said that... There are priests that deal with this sort of stuff, but this is definitely not something he dealt with. And he suggested that he contact, on my behalf, a Jesuit priest in Melbourne who would possibly be able to assist in me understanding what possibly had happened here. Anyway, a week later, he rang me back and said his advice had been for me to see this as a vision of Christ, that it's possibly a Christ-like figure that's coming to see you to have some thoughts and just treat it as a blessing. And I said, it definitely ain't Christ. (laughs) It's something else out there and it's a man that needs prayer. So I thought, okay, I have a neighbour who is an old retired um, reverend living next door with his wife And I started to tell the story and he said to me, oh, I know nothing about this. I know nothing. I think it's time you left. He was very, very um, anxious about it. And I said, he doesn't mean any harm. I feel that this is not a terrifying thing. Anyway, so that is actually the end of my story because I've never had any um, comfort to know what was going on. However, I feel I know that when these visions or these experiences happen, that it is somebody that is possibly has died before their time. In this case, Murray Jacobs had jumped off a building before he was called or before he was ill and sort of had some preparation for death. And I feel that we all can, instead of being hysterical or uh, uncomfortable about a situation, to actually be open to thinking somebody is giving me a message and that it's nothing to be fearful about. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like you just need to get something off your chest? Contrary to the belief of I think every single man in my family lineage dating back to the hunter-gatherer period, bottling things up does not work. When you push those things down, it begins to build up and negatively affects you. And of course, the stuff you bottle up always finds a way to come out eventually, usually not in a very good way. Therapy is a place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. There's a reason people say it's like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders afterwards. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, 
and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Otherworld today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P Otherworld. Hey, Otherworld listeners. I'm excited to tell you about a show that I love and I think you're going to love as well. It's called Sophia with an F, starring Sophia Franklin. This show is about as different from Otherworld as a show could possibly be, which is why I think many people were very, very shocked when I got invited on as a guest around Halloween. It was really the crossover that nobody expected. I'll never forget the day my episode came out and every single one of my college-age cousins texted me all at the same time. Very confused, but also very excited. It was nice to hear from all of them, though, and uh, finally get some respect. I had a great time on the show. Sophia is really down-to-earth, which is why I think her interviews are so good. We talked about Otherworld, the paranormal, getting into this whole thing unexpectedly, as I did, and a lot of other stuff that I think normally does not get discussed on Sophia with an F. Normally in the show, Sophia Franklin goes deep on sex, life, mental health, relationships, and everything in between. You can get Sophia all to yourself every Monday for solo mini-episodes and every Thursday with her ride-or-die best friends, experts, and some famous guests on a host of other topics, topics that are not safe for the dinner table, from foursomes and sugar daddies to wild sexcapades and tips for keeping things fresh in the bedroom. It's raw and laugh-out-loud funny, no borders and no filters. My personal favorite is the episode with Walk a Flock of Flame, if you want somewhere to start. Listen to and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I have one question. What happened to the husband who is too afraid of the ghost? (laughs) Well, to to cut a long story short, he didn't last. (laughs) He didn't last. He was a bit of a, uh, we'd say, a funk or a coward with all sorts of things and didn't stick the hard yards out of teenagers, in uh, teenage girls. I think he did a bolt. And um, I was by myself for some considerable time, but I've been lucky enough to meet uh, a lovely bloke, an Australian farmer. But, yes, he didn't last. Thanks, Jack. (laughs) I've also, also got another ghost story for you, Jack. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So in between husbands, I had a, a boyfriend who was into art and antiques and stuff, rather like myself. I'm a, an arty soul. I come from a design background and work in interiors and various things. So I'm interested in all sorts of things relating to art and furniture and stuff. And we were looking nearby. We were in our local area again in Norwood, um, had gone into a... a a second-hand shop, come antique shop, some fine antiques, some bric-a-brac, all sorts of everything there. And we're enjoying having a walk around together. And he was looking at something and I walked into a room thinking he was with me. And suddenly everything in the room room started to vibrate and rattling. And there were quite a lot of people in the shop at that stage. So I was thinking, gosh, what's happening? Are we having an earth tremor? What's what's happening. This is a bit odd. But the worst thing was that I suddenly became a bit fearful and really angry because I had thought that my um, boyfriend had put his arm around my left shoulder across my 
chest to my right shoulder with his arm tightly around my neck, pulled me, jarred me to the left and lifted my handbag up that was on my arm upside down so all the contents fell on the floor. And I thought, why is he doing this? But I thought, why is he doing this when there's a tremor on? Surely we should be trying to get out of the room. But I couldn't move. I was absolutely frozen in space by this this body holding me and pulling me to the left, pulling me around from my left shoulder and neck and grabbing me and lifting my bag up with, with my right hand, my bag, which was a heavy uh, fossil bag that I bought in America, <laughs> heavy leather, tipped upside down with all my, luckily nothing embarrassing in there, but it was tipped upside down onto the floor. And I felt, um, I felt angry. I felt angry at the time, thinking, leave me alone. I was, thought he was going to hurt me. I thought, why is my boyfriend grabbing me so violently? But this fellow was angry. The whole room was buzzing with noise of clattering and vibrating. The furniture was shaking, tables, uh, sideboards, everything was moving along the floor. Um, it was like a tremor, like you're about to have a really bad earthquake. Meanwhile, there I was wrestling with this unseen person who I thought was my boyfriend because he was so strong. And then I thought, no, my boyfriend doesn't smell of body odour like this guy. It was very distinct perspiration. And I just said, get off me, get off, get off, leave me alone, leave me alone. In which case, all the rattling had stopped in the room. There was complete silence with me trying to pull myself up from nearly falling to the ground to turn around to find my boyfriend was actually six to eight feet away from me in the doorway. And a crowd of people behind him because they were all attracted by the noise coming from the room. So I'd say there would have been perhaps five other people who were aghast, snow white faces. They knew this is something I couldn't have done because I was pulled so far over to the left, I could have fallen over, but I had to struggle to get my balance when it stopped. And they all looked at me as if to say, what the hell have we witnessed here? Whereas I was just really irritated and cross saying, why did you grab me? <laughs> and he said, I didn't, I didn't touch you. I can, and they, everybody said, we could see you're being grabbed by something, but it, it wasn't, wasn't my boyfriend. <laughs> I've nearly named him again. It wasn't my boyfriend at the time. <laughs> so we went downstairs you know, I really, the room had settled, but I had to pick up everything in my bag and went downstairs. My boy, boyfriend at the time went racing downstairs to tell the owner this had happened. And I was pulling myself together and I was trying to straighten my clothes and trying to get the smell of BO away from my nose. And anyway, I went down there and the owner said, can you keep it down? We don't want anybody to know about this. And he said, I believe it's a woman who has been following some of the staff members around. And I said, no, it's not a woman. It's a man that's about five feet nine that's grabbed me around my neck and has pulled my bag up. And Stephen said it wasn't him, but I can smell him. I couldn't see him. I could smell him. Anyway, he said, can you keep your voice down? Please don't tell anybody about this because nobody will come in the shop. So as later years went on, so this happened about... 10 years ago and about 
Three years ago, I was in another shop with my sister and the shop assistants who used to work in this antique shop, who's a little wacky, came up to me and said, oh, my God, you're the woman. You're the woman that said that the ghost was a man. And she said, yes, we had somebody come in to check out what was happening because we had the woman ghost that was walking down on the ground floor and they definitely identified that there was a man upstairs, a spirit upstairs that had come in on a sofa and people had been attracted to the sofa, but they could not sell the sofa. He didn't want to be separated from the sofa. And so I've been thinking about you. How are you? Have you had any more experiences? And I just said, well, I kind of have, but it's not my focus. I don't go looking for things, but things seem to come to me. And so I had the same sort of feeling afterwards that maybe this guy uh, is needing somebody to send him on. And I'm not that person, but I certainly would say a prayer or think of him and think, perhaps you need to go on. But I did go back to the shop. I didn't go into the room, but when nobody was around, I said, it's time for you to go on. You're not in the right place. I'm glad no one was around. You would have yeah, I know, insane. but I didn't care. I just thought, you know, this is something. Somebody else is going to get a hell of a fright. I haven't really been terrified. I've just thought they're sort of stuck between two worlds. My take on it is I'm living my own life. I've got energy enough for doing what I have to do and I've had a very active career and had to support myself since since the coward ran away. <laughs> and so for me, I think I just have to focus on what I'm doing. And I found that the uh, thought of having to take on anything else would be too much for me. And I know a lot of people go looking for yeah, that's ghosts and say, spirits. Well, yeah. They go looking for it and they think, oh, this is spooky, let's go. I'd say don't. Don't go looking for it because if you're not prepared for it, it could be absolutely terrifying because yeah. I found these experiences terrifying. But within me, there's something that I think I feel I understand that they are just trying to get a message out about something, that they, are, they know they're stuck, they need to be sent on. And apart from that, I've got no idea, Jack, no idea. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I haven't told a lot of people about this because people tend to think you're crazy. <laughs> Number one, you're crazy, or you're making these stories up to get attention. I, so I have sort of kept it quiet, but yeah. um, my family knows about it. Yeah, and, and I had to and yeah. to get Lou to sort of do this today, I had to have a bit of a chat to yes. her because she was, was reluctant. very worried about it being some sort of like um, lame, corny sort of thing. And I said, like, no, like the way that you do it is you're actually, you're serious. It's not about yeah. creating some sort of shock value or it's some sort of like trivial sort of yeah. um thing it's about trying to understand this stuff so that's why Lou agreed to do it yeah. but she was pretty hesitant to do it initially because she said people are going to think I'm crazy yeah going to think I'm completely <laughs> nuts or well, they might be right there but not completely <laughs> a little nuts maybe but no thank you Xavier and Aunt Lou for telling us those stories and Lou I just want to say on behalf of Otherworld I don't think you're nuts not at all um quite the opposite in fact, I really loved what she was saying right there at the end, kind of reflecting on her experiences, especially what she was saying about just, I guess, like processing these things in general. Um, 
in the small encounters I've had on my own with the paranormal, that's exactly how I reacted. Um, after, you know, of course the shock and being startled, the next thing I felt was like, oh my God, I don't want to have to deal with this. I really hope this doesn't happen again. I have too much I'm already worrying about. Like I don't have room in my life for this essentially. Um, so I related to that so much. And I think that's a reaction that I've, I've heard a lot before. It's something that you don't really see in movies or things like that. But I think um, when this really does happen to people, a lot of people feel that way. Um, and of course, I love these stories. Uh, I've never heard anything like that story with the man in this light. Um, everything about that was so wild. I really still don't know what to fully make of that. Um, what was incredible to me was the fact that there were several witnesses, like her whole family saw it, even the little babies saw it. Um, I thought was very interesting. But what I really liked about it was it illustrated to me how real world problems often can still find a way to take precedent over the wildest paranormal situations. Like she's over here witnessing this incredible, breathtaking, scary thing. We don't even, still don't even know what it is. Um, and in the middle of that, her husband runs out of the car, goes into the house and hides under the covers and leaves her there with her babies. Uh, so like she didn't even have time to process what she's seeing right there. I mean, she's seeing something that is life-changing, right? But she doesn't even get a, a second to process it because her husband, in the face of danger, immediately abandons his family. So not only does she have to deal with the problems at hand, which is that she has to get her babies out of the car and get them to safety, she has to jump right into mother, mother mode. Not only that, she then has to reckon with the fact that she just learned that her husband is a complete coward. And I, I'm sure she's thinking, what am I going to do about this? I married a guy who just revealed to me that he's going to flee in danger instead of protecting us. Um, all of that is going through her head. And then after she sorts it all out, she still has to go outside and deal with this otherworldly thing, whatever you want to call it, possibly Murray Jacobs, um, an old family friend, out in her lawn. I could not even imagine being in her shoes. Um, and that's why I like that story so much. And then on top of that, she goes to talk to various people in the town, these priests who just like completely let her down. And she just essentially has to move on. I loved that second story as well. That little bonus one, a very unusual one. I think what I liked about that is that it didn't start paranormal to her. At first she thought she was in an earthquake then she thinks her boyfriend is being a jerk and kind of messing with her. Then I think she probably jumped to thinking it was a stranger wrestling with her. And then all of a sudden she finds herself just completely alone in this antique store and everybody's staring at her. Such a weird occurrence. The body odor really sticks out to me. Everything about it, very unusual and very unsettling. Folks, I hope you enjoyed hearing those stories as much as I did. I want to thank Xavier and Aunt Lou one more time for telling us those stories. And with that, 
It brings us to the end of the very first episode of Otherworld. But don't worry, I have so much more coming for you this season. This is season zero of Otherworld. I have a lot more in store for this season, so stay tuned. Otherworld is executive produced and hosted by myself, Jack Wagner. Our theme song is by Cobra Man. Our music and soundtrack is by Chrome Sparks and North Americans. Production help and editing by Theo Schaefer and Hessa Denny. The artwork for our show is by Cul-de-Sac Studios. Once again, this is an independent show, so please show us your support by subscribing, leave us a five-star review, and tell your friends. Also, if you or somebody you know has experienced something paranormal, supernatural, or unexplained, you could send us the story at stories at otherworldpod.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>